Hey, Stay Paid listeners, welcome to another deep dive here on Stay Paid, where we interview Paul Cohn with Plutus Wealth. Luke and I actually did this interview right before the quarantine set in, so we're recording this intro during and now it. we're locked at home. <laughs> well, this is my office, but I never leave work, so this is my home. You are at home, yeah. Yeah, so, hey, exactly. yeah, this is Paul Cohn, Food as well. This is a pretty cool interview. Yeah, no, it's great interview. And, guys, we're not financial experts, but, uh, you know, Paul, he was a financial advisor and then built a piece of software and some stuff that actually helps financial advisors. So you get to learn not only how he grew his practice, but some really interesting stuff in financial services and how he's kind of differentiated himself and really zoned in on what his value proposition was and how he came about by asking the right question, how he turned his business around and actually started selling his software. So you gotta check this out. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. I am staring. I'm fascinated by this new uh, board that we have in our in our podcast studio. So producer Ariel sits on the other side of the camera. Yeah, you guys never see her. And then we have our camera operator. Andrea's uh, doing that today. Yep. And so normally, like, Ariel's trying to, like, send signals over to the cameras because Ariel has, like, the screens larger on her iPad. So, we just have the little viewfinders right. on the cameras. But we invested in the latest, greatest technology so Ariel could communicate. <laughs> There's a lot of money. Josh is laughing. So they're all. She's always like trying to, and I'm always like, Am I, "Are we doing something wrong? Did yeah. the audio cut out? What happened?" So now they have this whiteboard, and we'll have to take a picture of it and post it for everyone to be able to see. You have to go to Stay Paid Podcast to see the photo of this uh, at Stay Paid Podcast yeah. on Instagram. But it's got like a picture of me, and of course they chose the caption where I spelled your name wrong, R C R E E, even though you all heard it wrong. And then it's got like a wide of the two of us and then one of Luke. And then there's like, so she can point to the person and then she's got these boxes drawn underneath it that say focus, frame more left, frame more right, <laughs> check teams, which is our We're giving you guys all our secrets. Like I said, man, it's a so lot, she points a to lot the of technology there. And then points there. to the box. Printed out pictures in a whiteboard in a Sharpie. We are investing it. mad money, people, into this podcast. So yeah, there so you that. go. Well, That's, hey, uh, speaking of investing... Yeah, speaking of investing, that's a great segue. Today we have Paul Cohn on the podcast. He is the founder and CEO of Plutus Wealth, a strategy platform for financial advisors, helping them to develop portfolios that perform while allowing them to keep complete control and freeing them up to focus on new and existing clients. That sounds a lot like a life of freedom. Yes. To me. Paul is also the author of Asset Protection and Wealth Preservation, a guide to help you avoid common and costly mistakes, and Recession Survival, How to Profit from an Economic Recession. He's been quoted in national publications such as Business Week, Success Magazine, and The Wall Street Journal on investing and wealth management topics. Worth Magazine has named Paul one of the top 250 wealth advisors in the United States. Paul, welcome to Stay Paid. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. 
Yeah, Paul, it's awesome to have you on the show. So really interested to hear kind of how you've built your practice. And I know you're helping advisors now and a bunch of other stuff. So I want to get into that. But if you could just introduce yourself to the audience, let them know kind of this journey that you've been on, what's led you to writing these books, to being in the top 250 wealth advisors, just kind of share your story with us. Sure, absolutely. Um, It has been a wonderful journey. I have no complaints whatsoever. Uh, back in the late 90s, I got into this industry and no one I, not, no one that I've met actually plans to get into the financial services industry, um, at least as, a, as an advisor. It's just kind of more, you kind of morph into it somehow. <laughs> and I started with a large firm, as the vast majority do. The stat might be slightly off, but approximately, I don't know, high 80s, low 90 percent of advisors fail in the first two years. Mm-hmm. They're done. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. That just means they weren't cut out to do it. So I was lucky enough to find a niche very early. And in sales, no matter what you're selling, you have, in my opinion, you have to have a niche. You can't be all things to all people. Mm-hmm. So I focused on lawyers and attorneys, very underserved market at that time, late 90s. And I was tapped for a task force by this large Wall Street firm that I was working with to study family offices. Not to bore everybody what a, what a family office is, but if you're a billionaire, you don't go to a stockbroker or a financial planner. You hire them on staff. They only work for you. That's also your, your estate planning attorney, your accountant, and that's why it's an office. And they, <laughs> you have the best of the best and even your investment guys. So we studied those for 18 months on a task force. I was lucky enough to interview 253 of them in wow. depth to find out what they did, how they did it, and why they did it. To find out that the way I was trained as an advisor on Wall Street, not even remotely close to the way they actually manage their money. Mm. I remember it very distinctly. It was April of 2000. We were presenting to the board of directors. And in April of 2000, I don't know if you, how old you guys are, if you were investing in the market or not. April 15th, not only tax day, was the peak of the market for the dot-com bust. Large firms were being sued every day for comments like lipsticks on the pig, etc., and the president of the board, when we mentioned we need to open a family office as a fiduciary, literally through his water glass, it went between my head and Matt's head, which was actually used the F word on the fiduciary, slammed, busted on the wall behind us, said, absolutely not. We're not going to do fiduciaries. We're not opening our 16,000 brokers up to fiduciary responsibility. You guys wasted millions of dollars and 18 months of our time. Get out, go back. So no way. That's story crazy. Story. Yeah, it was it was a very intense meeting. Yeah. What'd um, you feel in that moment? I just got to ask you, like, what'd you feel? I mean, and like, uh, well, how old were you at the face. time? Oh, uh, let's see. At that time, I was right at 30 years old. Oh, my gosh. 30 years old. And yeah. here this person's throwing. The, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, water splattered on my face as the glass went flying by, shattered <laughs> on the wall behind us. And I was just like, wow, okay. So we go back to become a typical advisor. I'm sitting in my office. Now, remember, my niche is lawyers. My branch manager walks in four days later and said, we don't want you to bring on any more clients or lawyers as clients. It doesn't cost them anything to sue us. And (laughs) I was like, wow, there's a lot of presumptions in there. And at the time, I was like, this is ridiculous. So I picked up the phone. I called a um, good client of mine. And I said, hey, look, this is what's happening. He's like, I was wondering how long it was going to take you to leave the firm. You need to call these 10 people. They were all RIAs or registered investment advisors, and which is much more popular today mm-hmm. than it was in 1999 or 2000. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get hung up on 10 times, but what do I got to lose, right? All 10 said, we'd love to meet with you, et cetera, et cetera. 
and you've never been in a large wirehouse firm, whether it's a Morgan Stanley, a Merrill Lynch, or whatever it may be, the business card has the same logo on it, but you're, the guy in the office next to you is your competition. Mm. Right? It's just the way it is. It sells. And I just thought that was weird that 10 other firms said, sure, come on in. And you know, the, the big thing was, what did you learn or what would you have done different if you were in my shoes today? Because they all had left large firms. And they all told me exactly what they would have done and what they did do, which was nice. And they all said, hey, why don't you join us, et cetera. Decided not to. Opened my own firm called Wealth Planning and Management and tried to implement the strategies that I had learned from the family offices, not from the Wall Street firm teaching me how to do things. And I was blessed enough for two of those said, here's our algorithms. You can have them. You just can't use them for other family offices. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going after attorneys. I'm not going after billionaires. And so I knew my niche, had this wonderful algor couple algorithms, went to a local university because I am not a tech guy. I mean, I know how things work, but I'm not a, I don't write code. And they married the two codes together, got rid of some redundancies. I then said, okay, I'll start doing my own investing, which generally takes – according to industry studies, RIAs or investment advisors, I might just use the term advisor general throughout yeah. our conversation today, spend about 30 hours a week on investments. Well, if you're spending 30 hours a week on investments, you're working another 30 hours a week, servicing clients, finding new clients, yep. marketing. You don't have time. You're, you're giving up something. Work-life mm. balance is usually out. I found using these algorithms, I was literally spending about two hours a week on investments which freed up a lot of time to service clients, find new clients, market, et cetera. Fast forward a couple of years, a couple of clients had recommended me to, you know, like Worth Magazine or whatever. You have this huge background check, basically. What are you doing good? What are you doing bad? All regulatory stuff you got to fill out. Literally, I think it was a 40-page questionnaire of everything. Um, to narrow it down to the, what they call the top 250 wealth advisors in the country. Great honor, but lists actually really don't do much for you. I mean, because it's all subjective at the end of the day. Mm. And But it, it's great marketing, I can tell you that. <laughs> and during that time, I also wrote the first book. Uh, and the, the reason I wrote the book was clients started asking questions about certain topics. Well, if I'm doing all this research on this particular topic for client A, and then client C needs it, and client G needs it, and so forth, it was like, wow, why don't I just put all this research together in one book and sell the book? So that's what I did on that one. And if we fast forward a little bit further, business was going great. I was literally on, in, I'm from Indianapolis. We were in St. Louis watching my son play a uh, soccer match. I think he was about 10 at the time. And for whatever reason, my phone started ringing because all my clients have my cell phone, et cetera, but they never call. I mean, you have them conditioned and trained, deal with me in business hours. If it's an emergency, I'll deal with you, you know, but they never did because everything was pretty much running smoothly. Um, for whatever reason, I had three phone calls during his soccer match. And I remember distinctly, my wife walked over to me and it's a five hour drive from St. Louis back to Indianapolis. Just so you know how long this car ride was in complete silence because my wife walked over to me as we're walking in the parking lot and she goes, you have made enough money, get your work life balance in order, get out of your company wow. and walked away. Whew. Five hours of dead silence with your spouse is kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> you know, markets can go up and down. I'm fine. You know, ice water through the veins. 
five hours in the car thinking, am I, she going to like smother me with a pillow tonight? You know, ask for a divorce tomorrow. You, I mean, it was just one of those type scenarios. So I had mer- I merged my firm with another much larger firm uh, staff wise and said, you guys can have it. Here's my clients. Here's the investments, but I'm keeping my investment strategies. Mm-hmm. And I started licensing those to other advisors at the time. And unfortunately the firm that I had basically merged my firm with decided, well, we're just going to use ours and they blew up the client base. Oh, that wow. I so I had clients call saying, Hey, wait, you know, they're not using your strategies. I'm down 40% in a month because they were Ooh. doing some naked put option stuff. I don't understand. So I felt guilty. So I took about 10 of them back and just, you know, I don't bring on any new individual clients, but licensing my strategies to other advisors. Again, when a typical advisor spends about 30 hours a week managing money, that doesn't give them a lot of time to grow their book of business and service clients. So we license our strategies to other advisors now to where they can say, okay, I can basically outsource this. We call it insourcing, get better performance, be different than all the other advisors that are going after the same clients and have a lot more time to do it. Mm. And so that's kind of how I started in the industry to where I'm at today. Now, how many advisors do you work with right now from a Uh, licensing, I guess, perspective or licensing? We have about a hundred and just slightly over a hundred licensed. That's awesome. Advisors. No, that's fantastic. So in building out like your practice, right? Cause we have a lot of uh, small business owners here that listen to this show and a lot of them are advisors, right? And so building out your practice with clients, you know, take me back to those early days when you were trying to build out your wealth management practice. How did you market yourself? How did you get clients? Uh, you know, did you mainly work off referral? Did you do a lot of advertising? The magazine being in the top 250 sounds like it helped, but give me a little feel for how you went about building that practice. Uh, for advisors, right? Not yep. the financial firm. Okay. So it did help that I used to also sit on the board of the FPA. So I knew all the financial planners locally and stuff. So I knew a lot of advisors from being in the industry for 15 years at the time. So that helped a lot. The biggest hurdle was most advisors charge what they call AUM, assets under management. Mm -hmm. And then they immediately farm that out to money managers, which also charge an AUM. And I was going in saying, look, we'll replace the money manager aspect other than we are not taking custody. We're not getting in, we're not doing the trades. We're going to tell you when to trade, what best days of the month to trade on. It's going to cost you maybe two hours a month to of time, but you're going to not have to pay an AUM. We charge a flat fee, which, oh, by the way, is a business write-off. You would have, I, I assumed at the time that most business owners, because most financial advisors are business owners, are going, oh, wow, I save time and I save money and I get better results. Sign me up. I thought that was a, you know, a no-brainer. <laughs> it's like passing out free money. <laughs> that was the hardest thing to overcome because it's different. It's right. unique. It's not the way the industry works and mm-hmm. operates. And they're like, well, what do you mean I'm placing the trade? What do you mean it's not a, it, it's, I have to pay you a flat fee. You know, it's like we based our fee on $10 million. And if an advisor only has $10 million, they're not going to be in business long. Right. Because $10 million at 1% is not a lot of money annually. Right. And we were basing that on, okay, if you outsourced it for $10 million at, $10 million at 25 bips uh, to a money manager, that's 25 grand a year. We're charging two grand a month. So freeing, freeing you up by, no, I don't know, 100 hours a month to then do other things 
you could grow that 10 to 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 million or 100 million relatively quickly and save a lot of money, therefore making more money. It just was, it was like pulling teeth. Once you get a few, you would think, oh, referrals, right? Oh, no. Re financial advisors do not like giving other financial advisors referral because, again, it's competition. It's competition, yeah. Even if they're across the country, you know, hey, my brother-in-law is a financial advisor in California and I'm in New York. I'll give, no, because they might want to pick up a client in California. Right. It's like, I, it, it was really tough. So it's basically been word of mouth. Then it was, wait a minute. All these other money managers spending hundreds of thousands, if not multiple millions of dollars a year doing trade shows, advertising in magazines, you know, just going inundated, but they're all doing the exact same thing. They hire wholesalers at, you know, quarter of a million a year plus commission to travel to pitch what we call munch and learns. Yep. They go into the advisor, yeah. hey, here's the, the greatest new mutual fund or the greatest new ETF or whatever. Yep. And I'm like, we can't again be like everybody else. We have to be different. So I cheated. I said, okay, here's a conference, and I won't mention the conference, but it was for fee-only advisors, meaning they understand fees, they understand they're all fiduciaries, they know what they're doing. Here's the conference. It's over this three-day weekend at this particular location in Orlando. Let's geo-target that particular building for that three weekend. And then we can now market directly to those advisors. I had a choice. I could have bought the list for two hundred thousand dollars, could have bought a booth for half a million dollars. Or I could have spent $50,000, geotag it, and now every time they log on to their Instagram, their Facebook, their Twitter account, they see my marketing. I thought that was a better use of my time and money. Again, it was one of those overcoming the AUM scenario versus the flat fee scenario. And then I'm like, you know, every advisor is egotistical. Every one of us, me included. You know, we're cocky, we're arrogant, <laughs> but if you don't have some type of self-confidence, you will not survive in our industry. No one wants to turn their money over to somebody that's, oh, well, maybe, I'm not sure, we right. should look at this. You would go, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, but when that client is sitting down with four different advisors and they're all pitching the basically the exact same thing, how do you stand out? So I was just like, the only reason you would use our service is if we can outproduce, out, outperform the market. That's the only reason an advisor picks a, a money manager, <clears throat> even though most of them don't do it. It's a great pitch. So I was like, okay, yeah. Let me just pitch our performance, which I hate. I hated doing as a wealth advisor because if you if you live on performance, you will die on performance. Mm. You know, so if in the '90s you were pitching your performance, you were great. First three years of 2000, <laughs> you pitched your performance, not so good. Oh right. nine, not so good. Yep. You know, this 2020, not so good. But so I pitched it, and that actually opened the floodgates because they're like, "Wow, wait, hold on, you're taking on half the risk of the S and P. You're only investing in the S and P." You're using a tactical overlay. It's non-commissionable trades. It's really the easy to rebalance, but yet you're giving us 700 basis points more a year. Where do I sign up? And I'm like, is that how hard it was? <laughs> and I was beating myself up over the AUM versus flat fee scenario for a couple of years when I should have just pitched performance. And they're just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's almost the it process of redefining the pitch redefining Correct. how you presented it and the power of that communication. Uh, and re redefining and going to something that you should never, ever, ever do as a financial advisor is pitch performance. Because everybody has the access to the same money managers. You may have, you may end up having a bad quarter or a bad year because if you're in business long enough, you will as far as performance. So if you pitch performance, 
you will lose clients the moment you have a downturn. Right, correct. So you pitch service, financial planning, asset allocation, holistic approach, family office. You you pitch that. So when I went from that world into the let's pitch advisors, I that was like a taboo. You don't pitch performance. But the only way to actually get the epiphany was I pitched performance on one. You know, it was an A/B test. And one was performance, one was the typical, what we had been doing. And it was literally 92% clicked on the performance versus the 8% that clicked on what I thought should have been pitched. <laughs> well, that's why you got to test in your marketing. Yeah, you got to be, yeah. you got to embrace being wrong. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I love the, the, the uh, journey of, of going through that process to find that unique value proposition that ultimately hooked people. Yeah. And, and now, we don't we don't market anymore but to be honest I, with you i mean yes we have a website and stuff like that but it's it's, all, it's word all, all word of mouth at this point yeah, yeah. but here's like a, a key thing i think that um i want to point out to people listening to this is that you basically said to yourself what's the only reason why someone would use us yes which in essence is like the same idea as like the irresistible offer from tony robbins yeah it's like what's the own yeah. like what makes this so it's irresistible such a great question to ask yourself. that someone would use this yeah and it was we got outperform the market like this will be a no-brainer for people if x y and z is true it's almost what you have to do so in your marketing whether you're a real estate agent insurance agent financial advisor you have to ask yourself why would someone use you versus your competition Mm -hmm. like what is the one like what what is the irresistible offer as tony robbins would say and when i say irresistible offer don't think promotion it's not discounting yourself it's not giving something for free it's framing it up in a way that makes it a Mm no-brainer like why would i not do this if x y and z were true so i think that's a key point a golden number there if you're a financial advisor and are only connecting with men you're neglecting half of your business right out of the gate Women make up half of the workforce, and by 2030, they're expected to control half of the nation's wealth. But if you find yourself struggling to gain or keep female clients, there's hope. Go to ReminderMedia.com slash retention and download our free guide to retaining female and next generation clients. That's ReminderMedia.com slash retention. But don't wait. Take action on this today. Talk about the geofencing strategy a little bit for anyone who's listening who might not be familiar with that term or understand. What, I know it's changed a little bit now, but mm-hmm. what was your strategy? Were you running that? You said Facebook, Instagram, any other platforms? Twitter. Google? Yeah. Okay. Um, we did not do Google. I, at the time, I don't think Google actually allowed you to do geofencing. Yeah. Um, they just wanted the spaghetti testing, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to be more direct. Um, and... I want to be able to control who actually saw it. And I Google at the time could not do that on their platform. Uh, I'm sure they probably can pinpoint the exact friggin' bedroom <laughs> in a house nowadays. But um, the geofencing for, for the way we used it was there was a conference in Orlando, Florida, the conference center. So we knew the exact address. We knew how many blocks that conference center took. We didn't know exactly which breakout sessions were going to be in which room, but we just said, okay, Anybody that has a cell phone that is on over this four-day window, I think it was I think it was four days at the time. Yeah, it was Thursday through no Wednesday through Sunday, Saturday. And whoever has a cell phone on in this location, and literally a geofence is literally drawing a, a fence around your area. Yes. 
they could capture that data. I don't know exactly what data they capture, but they, they capture all the information, which then allow, gives them a list to market to. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been at a conference with financial advisors, during the work week, during market hours, the phone is on. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> and their face is shoved in it because they're either contacting clients, their assistant, looking at the market, doing something. So I'm like, okay, yes, you're going to have some conference workers and stuff in there too, but that's just part of marketing. You can't, you know, out of a hundred people you're marketing to, there's going to be a handful that really aren't your target. I get that. So the geofence was every advisor that was there for four days or even one day, if they just, if someone just walked through the conference center, maybe it started raining that day and they just wanted to get out of the rain and end up a block away. They got it as well. They got your ad. But then we just ran the, we ran ads to those specific people and of course, the Facebook pixel on the website. So once they clicked on it, then that, now they're retargeted, et cetera. So that's how we use the geofence. Yeah, that's a great, great idea. Yeah, it's an incredible idea. It's It seems complicated, but it's really not that complicated. They, it's not that complicated. They make it so easy. <laughs> they, they, they well, really it, is. It's literally drawing it's a not, like a box. It's, it's the strategy behind it. It's understanding the strategy behind it and then testing, like you said, the, the different messages to see which ones when the working. it person told me about it i'm looking at him going what are you talking about you know because I'm, again i'm not a digital marketer I'm, I, I don't write code i understand how to market and sell and things like that but i'm an investment guy mm-hmm. right you know i know how to beat the market and that's that's what i'm good at i know how my computer works don't ask me to write code for a program i can hire somebody to do that but when <laughs> they were telling me oh you can specifically go with the people in this particular building at this particular time or this particular location i'm like are you nuts? You know, that that's big brother on steroids to me. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, should I just turn my cell phone off at all times. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. Yes. Unless you have yes, you should. Yeah. Everybody's on the grid. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Or a man. hat or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just reading the, I was reading the book, Facebook and inside story. And, uh, I told the team this morning, I said, if I didn't have to have Facebook for my job, like if, if we didn't have to be on Facebook, I, I think I would probably get rid of it too. Cause it's they they know everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They know everything. Yeah. It's it's nuts, man. It's going to be crazy. It's where the world's headed. Uh, so I have to ask you, like, as you look towards the future, right, for your growth of your, you know, what you're trying to get advisors to take advantage of your investing mm-hmm. strategies and stuff like that, you know, what's the biggest challenge you're facing in getting new clients? Because that's the number one question we hear all the time on this, you know, from our clients and from listeners to the podcast is, how do I attract new clients? What's your biggest challenge and, and kind of how are you attacking that in your business? As far as attracting new clients, yeah. well, again, most of ours word of mouth because the industry itself teaches advisors a way that the industry makes money. Family offices don't have that luxury because the only person they're supposed to make money for is the patriarch of that family office. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, they're fired and replaced. Where we're the only, the financial services industry is the only industry that says average is the best you can do. Interesting. How many times have you heard, how many times have you guys heard, oh, you can't beat, you can't beat the market? You shouldn't try. Well, the market's just an average, right? Yeah, that's right, what you, you hear. Try. You shouldn't try to beat the market, yeah. You shouldn't try to market, just index Play it. Play it safe. Or the best money managers underperform the market, right? Yeah. So they're pitching average. But then you look and say Goldman Sachs hasn't lost money on a uh, on any particular day. I think they had a, a stretch of like seven and a half years. They never lost money trading in any single day of seven and a half years. Wait, I thought you couldn't beat the market because the market didn't go up every day for seven and a half years. Hmm. There, but you look at, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. 
uh, I'm, I hate to say that, but that's very accurate in investing because billionaires, yeah, 10% of a billion is a lot more than 10% of a million. I get that. <laughs> but the millionaire is going after 10%. The billionaire, you would assume, oh, they can just play it safe and get 2 to 3% a year and be happy, right? No. They're like, hey, I'm not average. I don't want average. If the market does 10, I want to do 20. That's what got them to billion a, status. Exactly. Yep. They're not – but the industry – indoctrinates every financial planner, every financial advisor to only look at the averages. Oh, do an asset allocation model. Something's going to go up. Something's going to go down and you're going to be what? Average. <laughs> but then they say, oh, you're going to compete or we're going to compare. The SEC is brilliant on this. And I DS that was facetious. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to compare every investment strategy for the most part to the S&P 500. Okay. So, but my client 60% equity, 40% fixed income. And out of the 60% equity, he's going to have international, large cap growth, value, small cap, mid cap. That's not just why am I comparing it just to the S&P 500? Because I can never beat it in a 60-40 portfolio. It is virtually impossible to do. But that's what everybody, when you look at all the charts compared to the S&P 500, it's like, that hmm. makes no sense. So again, you're not going to beat it. The industry is pitching, training everybody most financial advisors to, in today's world are planners. Go get the client, their asset gatherers, turn all that money over to our in-house money managers or people that we have relationships with that we're also making a percent on, even though you don't see it and the client doesn't see it. And you just go get more clients. Okay, so you're just a salesperson. You're not a financial advisor. Right. You're an asset gatherer. Mm. That's easy to replace in today's environment. And financial advisors don't understand it. So when 90% of the people fail in two years, the reason being, the first thing they do is family and friends. Hey, Josh, why don't you bring some money? You know, I just got this job. You know, right, you got 50,000 exactly. laying around. Yep. Hey, Luke. You know, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm out of the job because I didn't have enough family and friends with money. So the senior advisor gets your guys' accounts. So he just gets all these young kids or new, new guys orphaned accounts. Yeah, he may lose some of them, but he's going to keep some of them because guess what? It's just sitting there. He's not building a relationship. There's That's why they don't get called a lot. Versus our strategy is, look, you do not get paid to manage money as a financial advisor. You get paid to build and maintain a relationship. Yeah, that's amen it. to that. You're that's not, a a, I, you're not even an asset gatherer. Yeah, you are just a relationship builder. Yeah, and you, manager. When yep. you're, yeah, I mean- the, the year I, I actually, in 08, when the market was falling apart, I put all of our client stuff digitally online. They had vaults. They could log in. Now it's you know common. Everybody has it now. I had a client call at 3 a.m. in the morning our time because her purse was stolen. She was in Italy because her she, she was trying to plan her daughter's wedding. And her daughter was like, Mom, get out of here. You're driving me nuts. You're not invited. <laughs> so they went to Italy. So the daughter could plan the wedding. <laughs> they were flying back the day before the wedding. Her purse gets stolen. If you tried to get on an international flight from Europe to the U.S. without a passport after 9-11, you really can't do it. She was like, she went to the police station, filed a police report, and they're still going, you still need a passport. So she called me at 3.30 in the morning. And I'm like, we just scanned it and put it in your vault online. Just log on. She was like, I don't remember my login stuff. So we logged it. <laughs> 
the police officer, whatever they're called over there, download, you know, we had to put it in a separate file so he could only see that and not other things. They pulled it down. She gets on her plane, comes home, makes the wedding. Not quite as unstressed as she was supposed to have been by going to Europe for a week, but at least she was out of her daughter's hair. That is to me, that's how you build a relationship. That's how you service. That's what it is. Because that's all she could talk about at her daughter's wedding to all the people that she knew was he got me home for my daughter's wedding. That's what I was paid to do. It's so powerful. It's crazy how much the relationship matters. I share that, like, I invest in real estate all the time, and my mm-hmm. wife Megan gives me such a hard time when I'm like buying another property. It's kind of like a joke, but she gives me such a hard time because I invest with my brothers and stuff. And she works, she's a special education teacher, and she works at uh, school. She has a friend there that's also a special ed teacher. Her husband's a financial advisor. Well, this guy has been working me and my partner for freaking ever, right? And it was so funny because I told him, I said, hey, man, I'll give you a chance. I'll give you some money and uh, see what you can do. Um, And then if you do well, you know, we'll give you more money, that type of idea. And I tell Megan, I go, hey, Megan, you know, I'm going to give Matt, you know, some money that's her reaction because she is you know really good friends with his wife was like mm. oh that's good that's really good yeah just give them and i'm just like what are you talking about here like you give me a hard time every time i invest in real estate i'm going to give this guy some money and you're just like oh yeah why the power of the relationship. everybody listening to this you know why yep. because she's friends with his wife mm-hmm. and if that relationship wasn't there it would have been like, no, let's not give money to this financial advisor. It would have been that. But because she's friends with his wife, all of a sudden, it's like a natural thing. Oh, yeah, give this guy some money. It was ridiculous. Now, <laughs> but, see, if you, if you- that, I told Matt that when I was signing the paperwork and stuff, I said to him, I said, dude, I said, I want to teach you a lesson about relationships. <laughs> you know why you're getting this money, Matt? One, because you're a good sales guy and you stay on me. But second is because... My freaking wife likes your wife. Not going to get a hard time. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And if you were a financial advisor, I would tell you that was the worst decision you made. Yeah. <laughs> because should should Matt lose 80% of your money, you still can't fire him. Yeah, I know. Because now because your my wife, wife loves and him. his wife won't talk. Yeah, I know. It's crazy, <laughs> so man. Stuck. I you're told him, him I, whether he's good or bad. I told him I told him that. I said, you're getting this because my wife loves you. It's crazy, man, how that works. That's why I'm not giving you all my money, Matt. You got to you gotta do a good job for me. <laughs> so what are uh, – Paul, but, but, oh, but you can't fire him. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> good I, luck well, getting out of that well, one. Well, I hate to tell you this, Paul, and for everybody listening, you, you're going to get to know me a little bit uh, – I, I will have no problem firing Matt. <laughs> everybody, everybody on the podcast is learning a little bit about me. Maybe it's because I've gotten cold over the years of doing this, but I don't have a problem old anymore telling, telling people like it is. Yeah. Hey, it is what it is. <laughs> Saves time. But, but you also have to tell your wife that. I got to tell my wife that. That's a little harder, but that, that's the harder that's conversation. The hard but no, it's awesome. Okay, got last question for you, man. Is you know obviously I love asking successful people this is knowing know what knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell younger Paul? Meaning, what advice would you give younger Paul? You, you know, thinking that in the teenage years, college years, what, what what advice would you give them? Oh wow, um, there'd be a couple different things, um, mostly one-liners, but you know, <laughs> as, as we discussed earlier, I think off air, but success leaves clues. So finding people that have done what you want to do and find out what they're doing that works, go interviewing. I mean, most successful people like to be interviewed, be 
ask the same question you asked me, or why did you get into this? What would you do differently? Um, they love to share that information and let them, they've already made the mistakes. So don't make them again. Let them teach you what the mistakes were. And it's not as hard to get those interviews as you, you guys do podcasts. Of course, you guys know you can get interviews, but most young people don't understand in college, right out of college, call the CEO. Hey, I'm a college student. I just want to pick your brain. That's Can I buy you a cup of coffee? The answer is going to be no, but you keep be, be like a mat. Someone will say, someone will say yes. Someone will say yes. And it could just be a phone call. Yep. Yeah, they're busy, but it's a phone call. It could be just a text exchange. I mean, I know young kids today don't like to be on the phone unless they're <laughs> texting. Um, but as far as the young person getting into the, the financial services industry, I teach all of our subscribers to always ask every year they, they, they do a plan. You know, a lot of them do it quarterly, but at least annual plan. Here's what I want to do. Ask yourself one question. If I had to put myself out of business in the shortest amount of time possible, what would I do differently? Mm. Wow. And when you ask that question, because somebody else is asking that question, someone else is going to open up shop across the street or down the street or in the same building. They're asking the same question. What can I do to put you two out of business because I want to have a better podcast? What can I do differently? Yes. Well, first of all, they have to do exactly what you're doing and then some. So most people just go day to day. They don't look and say, okay, how do I self self reflect on my business or myself? And I think you can do that on a personal level too. It doesn't have to be business. You know, if I want to be the best person I can be to get the girl or to get the house or to get the car, what do I need to do? What type of person that do I need to be? Just self reflect and find out what it is. That's it's not complicated. Yeah, that's great. Paul, before we close out, uh, tell people where they can learn about Plutus Wealth. And then I know you have some subscriptions. You say you have a couple different models for people. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Plutus Wealth, P-L-O-U-T-O-S, W-E-A-L-T-H.com uh, for all advisors. We have ETF strategies and we have stock strategies. ETF strategies all have tactical overlay or downside protection. We can also make money in up and down markets, which is also beneficial. The stock strategies are quarterly based on trading. That way you're not overtrading the client's accounts uh, for those one or two people that might actually still pay commissions. Um, and we only do index type of, like for the Dow Jones, for example, we pick the best 10, what we think will be the best 10 for the next quarter versus all 30 of the Dow Jones. We generally smash the indexes um, on that. So that's kind of how you do that. You can pick one or both for investment management. It's awesome. awesome. And we do not place the trades. We, we give the, we, yeah. family offices also, pick the best trading days of the month so we know what best day historically is the best day to buy what's the best day to sell and the rest of the time ignore it awesome mm. well thanks again for being here and thank you for listening to dive deeper into this episode get those links that we uh, that paul mentioned there and to see the video go to staypaidpodcast.com and if you're interested in supporting the show and i know you are You've, I know you've been sitting here thinking, man, <laughs> how do I support this show? This has been amazing content for free. I didn't have to pay anything for it. It's unbelievable. So there's two ways. Both ways are free also. Mm. Go rate us on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Give us a five-star review. Tell a friend. Word of mouth. Paul said he's built his entire business on word of mouth. Yes. That's what we're trying to do here with Stay Paid. Build this up on word of mouth. 
If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com or you can find us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. And what I will share with you, action item from this podcast, I think it was super interesting. You know, as I was listening to Paul and him tell his journey, one which I thought was really, really cool is how much he kept coming back to the value proposition that his company does. I don't know if people caught that, but if you listen back to this podcast, you're going to hear him. And every question we ask him, he comes back to his value proposition. And that is an extremely good thing to do. You should be asking yourself in your business, how do I do that? But I think before you can do that, you got to have the right message. And so the action item, I think, for all of you as you listen to this podcast is really asking yourself that question, what is it that where you could make it to where someone couldn't resist your product? Mm -hmm. Meaning like, what does it have to happen for people to go, I can't, it's irresistible. I can't help but do it. That's the Tony Robbins creating an irresistible offer. Meaning for Paul, it was, it's got to outperform the market for advisors to want to use his product. It's got to outperform the market. What is that for you? What is it in the real estate business that you're trying to do that if you had X, Y, Z, everybody would use you. And how do you get there? How do you create that irresistible offer? Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every industry we work in is top producers take action. So take action on that today. 